Uh, today, as we talk about the kingdom, and it's really we see a beautiful picture of the kingdom, I'm reminded of a story historically of how uh, the Laotians and the Vietnamese were really at one time all together in the same basic land area. And the king of Vietnam and the king of Laos got together and they decided for the purposes of their taxation, they would do this. They would, uh, the king of Laos, would, would the Laotians that they would, they would tax would be those who had, uh, who grew short grain and had their house on stilts and they had the symbol of the cobra. And that cobra was a mystic symbol that had been a part of their culture for a long time. And the king of Vietnam he would take the people who uh, grew long grain and whose houses were on, on the ground, not on stilts, and the symbol was the dragon. They would have the dragon symbol a lot of times on their weapons and their tools and even their home. And so they were identified not by geography, but by what they believed, by their tradition and by their culture and by uh, what they believed in. And so that's how they came uh, to, to define each other, basically sharing the same areas till the colonists came and uh, basically uh, drew strict lines and things changed. But nevertheless, uh, kind of a neat concept. And the concept is so true for us as believers in Christ Jesus. What does it look like to be a part of the kingdom of God? Well, we've talked about this before, the kingdom. And the kingdom is this. First of all, to have a kingdom, if we're looking at it from a biblical standpoint, certainly, and really from a historical standpoint, uh, first of all, there must be a king. Who is the king? A king who has the authority, uh, the ruler, the one who is the Lord, so to speak, over the people. There must be a king. And of course, that king, in this instance, in the new kingdom, uh, the kingdom that Christ has ushered in, he is the king. And the Gospel of Matthew talks about this at the beginning of Matthew, where it gives his uh, lineage from King David that we just saw on the screen, dancing with no clothes on. Uh, from the kingship, it shows the lineage of Jesus. So he's establishing himself as the king. And then at the very end of the Gospel of Matthew in chapter 28, Jesus says this, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given unto me. The Father has given him authority, thus establishing bookends on the kingship of Jesus. So that is our king, those of us who follow Christ and call Christ our Lord. But secondly, you, to have a king, you must have a people. And so the people uh, are those who have chosen to recognize Jesus as the king and transferred our trust from anything that we could do to what Christ has done for us. And that, at that time, we are rescued, so to speak. Uh, we are saved from the darkness. We are saved into the light of Christ, and we become the people of the king, the people of Christ. And so that's the people in the kingdom of God. And then thirdly, uh, not only do you have a king, not only is there a people, but there is a will. There is a will of the king. Uh, it is the ethic, it is the edict, so to speak, of the king. And today we're just going to briefly look at a few verses of what I believe, and I think everybody, uh, yeah, all scholars and pastors would probably say, the greatest sermon ever preached, which was the Sermon on Mount by Jesus. Okay, this is his first public discourse, his first public sermon, uh, where the crowds that we see in Scripture, and he starts off with the Beatitudes that we'll look at a few in just a moment. Uh, but in that, we, he establishes what it looks like, what are the citizens, what do the people look like, who are they, what do they look like in his kingdom? And it's a complete reversal of, the king, of any kingdom that they've ever known. Uh, because in this kingdom, he's going to give some characteristics. He's going to give a teaching that is completely uh, the antithesis 
of what they thought and what they believed all their life. And then fourthly, uh, there is a land. And that land, of course, is the body of Christ, the church. The, the, the Holy Spirit dwells within us today. So when we talk about the kingdom, we're talking about it in that context. Now, before we look at Matthew uh, chapter 5, I think it's important for us uh, to realize who he's speaking to. And uh, there are really five groups of people uh, that are in Judea at that time, five groups in the Jewish community. Uh, The first group are the Zealots. And the Zealots uh, were certainly planning on and hoping that Christ would come, the Messiah would come, and that he would, in a militaristic form, lead them to conquer the Roman Empire, who was the oppressing army of that day. That was who's the author- who had the authority over the Jews. They had come in their land, and the Jews had to pay heavy taxes, and they were under the authority and under the rule of the Roman governments with their own uh, rule that was set up uh, of kind of infrastructure uh, that the Romans approved, and they approved who the leaders were. And so the people were greatly oppressed by this, and so some thought to take uh, what we do violence as the answer. We will kill them. We'll pick them off one at a time. We'll pick them off in small groups. And eventually the Messiah will come and he will lead us into victory. And so those were zealots. And Simon, the Bible tells us, was a zealot. He was one of the followers of Christ. Another group were the Sadducees. And the Sadducees were really the ruling order of the Jews at that time. They were the aristocrats. Uh, they were the ones who had uh, the most power and the most authority. And, but this was a very small scru- group of people, and you couldn't just get into the Sadducees. Uh, it was greatly uh, mandated by who, where you are, your family name, who you were, the amount of wealth and education that you had. And, and it, was, it was a very uh, select cl- club, so to speak. And so they were in cahoots uh, with the government. They still were able to live well and to exercise a power and to have uh, their financial needs uh, taken care of. So they were in good shape, but they were a very small group, but they also believed in the first five books of the Bible, the Torah, but they didn't believe in a bodily resurrection, and they didn't uh, believe that the oral tradition was valid. And so uh, they kind of had a a little bit more narrow view, but again, they they were the rulers. They were sometimes the teachers or sometimes the scribes, and so there was a huge disconnect between the everyday common man and the Sadducees. Then there were the Essenes, and basically the Essenes, instead of going into a long uh, conversation about that, they just decided we're going to completely pull out of culture. We're just going to get out. We'll take our wife and our kids. We'll pull out. We'll go into the desert, go into the caves. We'll live there. We just need to be away from all this. We believe the temple's corrupt. We believe the priests are corrupt. All these groups are corrupt. Let's just get away from them. And then there was another group called the Pharisees, and the Pharisees really started off well after the temple was destroyed. Uh, they tried to uh, get everybody to understand how to live out the law and they started something called the oral tradition that explained it was basically a commentary and kind of how to live out uh, Judaism. Uh, but they kept adding to that, and soon it got to where the law and the interpretation of law was above the aspect of worship of God. And, and Jesus comes, and he confronts these groups, and he deconstructs what they're, what they're saying. And he speaks to the other 80%. The other 80% who, quite frankly, didn't fit into any category, candidly, they were just trying to survive. They were just trying to make it. They were under heavy taxation, so it was very common for them to lose their land, for them to lose their home, for them to lose their produce, their animals. And to this group of people who are struggling and just trying to eke out enough just to eat for that day, uh, 
Jesus' words would have been tremendously encouraging. And so we pick up right there in Matthew chapter 5. Let's start with the second verse and let's look at what Jesus says. Jesus speaks and he says, And he opened his mouth, in verse 2, and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Now, certainly they were, many were poor. The majority were poor. Uh, Even those who had trades, it was still difficult. By our standards, we would certainly have considered them poor. But Jesus is also talking about being poor in spirit. That's really what he's communicating. He's talking about realizing our spiritual bankruptcy before God Almighty. That there's nothing that we have to offer God Almighty. That we are poor in spirit. We are humble is another way that you can characterize it. We are humble and to get into the kingdom, this is a piece of information, or this is the first sermon uh, on a large scale that Jesus said. He said, first of all, you have to recognize that you are poor in spirit. To come to me, you must recognize that there's nothing that you have done or could ever do that would give you favor and give you acceptance into my kingdom. So he said, blessed are those of you who already recognize that you're poor and humble in spirit. And then he says, and blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. It's not just that you're crying, not just that you've had a hard time, though that might be the case. But another translation might be, blessed are the broken. I am broken. I heard one of the men say it last hour, I I was broken. Uh, Can I tell you this? Before we really experience the grace and the mercy and the power of Christ, we all have to come to that place where we recognize we're poor and humble in spirit and that we're broken and that we all need to be repaired. And that was Jesus' whole message. It wasn't just reconstruction. It was deconstruction. It was an emptying of what you thought you were and how you thought you related to God. And he was constructing a new model. And he's giving a new ethic, a new understanding. Not that it had never been preached in the Old Testament. It had. But through time, men had kind of gravitated to what was easy for them and uh, what spoke to them and quite frankly, uh, how some could be controlled. And so at this instance, Jesus is saying, let me tell you, those of you who are suffering, who are struggling, those of you who mourn, those of you who are poor in spirit, he goes, I want you to know you are blessed for the kingdom of heaven is yours. And blessed are those who mourn for they shall be comforted. And blessed are the meek for they shall inherit the earth. Meekness, gentleness, kindness. It's it's interesting that Jesus will later use this term of himself. As a matter of fact, these are all characteristics of Christ. Jesus will later say in Matthew, he'll say this, Come to me, all you who are heavy and weary laden, and I will give you rest, for I am meek and lowly. I am meek. I am gentle. I am kind. There's a spirit of meekness that was the term that was used for breaking horses. Once a horse was gentled and and able to ride, and Jesus used this term, and he describes himself in this manner. And he's saying, look, if you're poor in spirit, if your heart is broken, if your life is broken, if there's a spirit of kindness, then you are near to the kingdom of God. And you are ready to receive. You are ready to be a part of my kingdom. And then, of course, he says, blessed are those who, thir- who are hunger and thirst for righteousness. Blessed are those who believe in justice and believe in what is right and believe that Christ 
has established the ethic. Christ has established the rule. Christ has established the order. Are you hungering and thirsting for what God hungers and thirsts for? That men might know him and know him in his fullness. That people might be healed in heart and spirit and body. And then he goes on and he says this. He said, blessed in verse 7 are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the merciful. Those who give compassion, whether it's deserved or not. Then you're like me. Then, then you are representing the kingdom. That's who you are. These are all characteristics of who you are as a citizen of Christ. And blessed are those who are pure in heart. Their motive is God Almighty. Their motive is the king, not their power, not their position, not their status, not how other people view them. But my motive is you, O oh Lord. I want you. I want to worship you. I want to bring you praise. I want to bring you glory. Uh, can I tell you, this is really a passage that is difficult to ascertain in our culture because we look at that, and again, it's the antithesis of our culture. It was the antithesis in Jesus' culture that day. People are often thought of as cursed if they had a disease or if they were poor, if they were broken. And Jesus is transforming the way that we should think about life and about others and about ministry. And so as we talk about this, I, I think it's important for us to think about a couple of things. Um, I, I want to tell you a story here for just a moment. Um, most, most of you know that next week we'll have a commitment Sunday here and um, we have voted on Parker Square and we'll have a commitment to be a part of that and to support that and so I encourage you to be praying about that and thinking about that but here's the real truth um, about a year and a half ago um, Alan Michael brought information to me and probably even before that saying hey at our projected growth rate he said, um, we're going to have auditorium space, but there are several other places we're not going to have space. We're not going to have space in our children. Uh, our students are starting to run out and uh, parking. And um, I said, well, let's, let's just look at a lot of other things. Let's, let's do some other things. Let's see how we can man maneuver things. Let's park off campus. Let's park on the grass. Let's do some other things. Let's uh, move people around. And so, okay, they did that, and they did that for about a about a year, and then that time is up. And he said, look, we've, we're reconstructing over here, but if we continue to grow, this is not going to be sufficient. I said, well, I'm still not convinced. And he said, now, look, there's a place. We, we've had this committee look, and uh, we've looked at this place called Parker Square. And I said, uh, I don't know about that. I don't know if that's a good idea. I don't think it is, as a matter of fact. And I remember Calvin Murphy, the chairman of our elder board, he didn't think it was a good idea either. And uh, one day in our committee meetings, we had Christy McCallum, who's our children's minister, who if you haven't met, you need to meet her. You've got children, you've you got to put them in there. You're, this is your best, it's the best stinking children's minister in the world, in my opinion. So nevertheless, with that said, uh, we were letting her talk one day and in one of our meetings, one of our strategy meetings. She said, so here's what I need to know. Every week, God is sending us more and more families with special needs. And uh, I want to receive them, but we are fastly running out of room. And I know you're making some more room, but she goes, we're not going to be able to receive them unless we do something else. And uh, I remember thinking, because I'm slow. I'm real slow on these kind of thinkings. I'm saying, I don't know. And I remember Calvin saying, that's why we should do something. And then I was reading this, this passage and this just kind of came in my heart, and I was reading Matthew 25. If you've done it in the least of these, you'll, you've done it unto me. 
And I was thinking about a prayer that I've prayed for a long time. God, what is it that here? Now, we're going, to, we're going to work in the city, and we're going to work with groups like Men of Nehemiah. We're going to do Feed the Hunger, which that's going on. You can sign up after this. We're doing a quarter of a million meals uh, here in a couple of weeks. Uh, we're going to do missions all over. But, God, what is it we can meet right here that another church is not doing? What is the, the group that is not being represented? What is the group that is not being ministered to and, and, and that we're not making adequate availability for? And as she was saying that, are we going to just say we're full? It's like God just pricked in my heart. And as I was reading this passage, it just kind of came to me. Reading this scripture, as I think about the special needs ministry, I had another family this morning, first time. Look at this passage again and think about this. This right here, first of all, um, okay, whatever we want to do here, it's fine. Um, <laughs> This is just a small group of some of our special needs children uh, that come each week. And I, I love these pictures because it represents what I was reading right here. As Jesus said, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. And I thought, there's the picture right there. And God just burdened my heart and Calvin's heart and our elder board's heart. And that's how we ultimately got here. That's the backstory. That's how we ultimately got to this point. And you might be saying, well, there's plenty of room for me right here. I got room right. I got an empty seat right next to me. I'm, I'm good shape. I'm, I'm good and I don't have kids. That's right. There's plenty of room in here for you, but there's not plenty of room for them. Not plenty of room for them in the back. There's not plenty of room for us to continue to receive families. And so we had to come to the place to say, you know what, God, if that's what you're calling us to do, we'll do it. Right after we decided to do that, I'm not kidding you. You think I make this stuff up. Uh, one of the pastors in the area said, hey, I heard y'all are doing special needs well. And quite frankly, we're not, and we're not going to try anymore. And so can we just tell people to come to your church? And I go, okay. And so that's begun to happen. And you know what? I'm thankful because I want us to be a place where we open our arms and say, God, we're, we will receive whoever you send, no matter what it costs us, no matter how inconvenient, Lord, we want to do it. We want to represent you. We want to be poor in spirit, Lord. We want to be pure in heart. And God, we want to receive your people. And so we have begun to do that. And God has blessed with countless stories that are amazing. And I'm so thankful and so grateful. And then you saw the faces of some of our children. And when I read that passage, I see those faces now. And I recognize how they're closer to the kingdom than I am. It, it, it reminds me of this story. This, um, I was reading just this last week this article by George Lucas. And he said, he had, I have a special needs son named Jacob. He goes, a couple of years ago, we went to the dentist. And he's an older teenager now. And he's as big as I am. And, uh, man, going to the dentist, it, it was just hard because they were having to cut out a tooth, and he was bleeding, he was screaming, he was frailing, and he goes, it, it was really hard. He came out, he had slobber all over him, and his hair was a mess, his clothes were a mess, and I was just thinking, just, Lord, it's just time for us to get out. But then I got up to the elevator, we were on the third floor, and he refused to get on the elevator. He just kind of freaked out. He wasn't going on that elevator, and this sweet nurse walked up, and she goes, can I help you guys? I'm thinking, lady, you don't know what you're asking. And, uh, and I finally reluctantly said, yes. She goes, what if we just take the stairs? And immediately my son, Jacob, began to smile. And so she locked arms with him on one side, and I locked arms with him on the other side. And we started going down the stairs. But every three steps, she would give him a, she, he would give her a big kiss on the cheek. And I go, Jacob, don't do that. I, I, I'm sorry, ma'am. I'm sorry. 
And he did it over and over. I apologized over and over and over. And we got down to the, to the bottom, and doggone if he doesn't reach over and give her a big sloppy kiss on her cheek again. And I said, Jacob, that's enough. Now apologize to the lady. Tell her you're sorry, and let's go. And that little nurse, she, he goes, she just lost it. She's a little, little sweet in nature. She hadn't said a word the whole time. She looked at me, and she goes, would you shut up? <laughs> She says, what you don't understand is this has been a hard day for me, and I needed every one of those kisses. And as I was driving home, I was just thinking, man, I, all I can see is just defending myself and what's easiest for me and what's best for me. And here's a lady saying, I need those kisses. You know what? Here's what I believe about Rock Point Church. I think there are families that need us. Matter of fact, one of the guy, families that was here last hour, I, I'll never forget what he said. We had a video. You can watch it if you want to sometimes. Um, he was doing a video on, on their, their special needs ch- child. He and his wife, Carrie, were doing it. And as I was listening to him, he said something that caught my attention. He goes, I'm so thankful that when, I, when we put Stephen in the class that they want him here and they see the value that he can bring. Can I tell you, man, that has stuck with me. And what I recognize is we're a church that God has immensely blessed. Most of us are healthy, we, all our needs are met, and we're real comfortable here at church. We can go, there's plenty of room for me, plenty of room for, I, I get to park, I get a good spot, I got a good Bible study. And here's the truth. We need the Stevens and the Jacobs more than they need us because they are the meek, they are the poor in spirit, and they personify Jesus And if we want to just stay comfortable and just say, this is good for us, then we can do that and we can miss the kingdom. We can miss impact and we can miss one of the purposes that God has put us here. And that's to love him with all that we are while making more and better followers of Christ. And God has put families right here in our community who are underserved, who don't have the opportunity to attend because their child is special needs and they can't do it. And we're going to say, come Come, and we're going to have room. We're not going to say, we're sorry, our room is full. We don't have space. No, you want to know the genesis? You want to know why we're really doing that? That's what stoked my heart. Now, there are a lot of other things. We want to reach college students who are 18 to 25. Matter of fact, uh, I I would almost say, um, raise your hand. Do this. Raise your hand uh, if you were actively involved in church in your 18 to 22 years. Raise your hand if you were actively involved in church. Okay. Now, raise your hands if you weren't. Okay, so there's the majority of people right there. It's a great opportunity. God has put us right in the middle of that campus. There are so many opportunities God has given us, but they mean getting out of our comfort zone. And there's a cost. There's a cost financially. There's a cost to serve. There's a cost with personnel. But I believe God has called us to do it. Will you do it with us? Will you pray? Father, thank you for this time. Thank you that while we were yet sinners, you died for us. Thank you, Lord, for the just the enormous amount of ministry opportunities that you give us to make a difference. Thank you for the men of Nehemiah. Thank you, God, for how you are transforming lives, people who are in darkness, who are coming and recognizing, I'm poor in spirit. I am broken over my sin. And God, I come to you in meekness. And God, you are healing them. But Lord, we all have to come that way. We all must recognize our spiritual account is zero, that we are spiritually in debt 
and we can't pay that debt off. We all need to see the goodness of God and mourn that, God, our sin has broken your heart. We all need to see that your spirit of meekness and that we might share meekness and mercy and purity of heart with others as, Lord, we must be ourselves as your spirit washes over us, as you transform us through the power of the Holy Spirit. Thank you, Lord, that you are our king, that we are your people. And God, thank you that you invite us to be a part of your will, a part of your rule. And thank you for the Holy Spirit that rests within us as believers in Christ Jesus. And Lord, let us make an impact for you.